high in terms of what we sensed God was leading us to do in different areas. One of the things that we felt we wanted to really trial in doing is on the first Sunday of every month as we're having communion to have a focus, break away from our sermon series, whatever we're doing, whatever we're looking at, and have a focus on the gospel and have a focus on the cross and have a focus on Jesus. You might say, why do that? It's common news. And particularly as I'm going to read to you the passage that we're going to look at this morning, you might say, if you have been in church for a while or a long time, you will seem very familiar and you'd say, I I know this. But I find it increasingly fascinating that part of our spiritual growth is not so much learning new things, but reminding ourselves of the things that God has already said. I find that we are wandering pilgrims just like the people of Israel in the desert. Some of you who are doing the Bible in the year, you're probably in, in that sort of zone at the moment. And the one thing that's really fascinating constantly is that God would speak to them and show himself to them, and their memory is very short. And I can identify with that. I think the Lord has been teaching us and teaching me so many things. And often what I fail is not because of lack of new revelation, but because of forgetfulness. And it's something that's either in the mind or a coldness of the heart in which the amazing grace of Jesus becomes an okay grace of Jesus and ceases to be amazing. And this is why in the Sundays that we're having communion uh, on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to take some time to center ourselves again around Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us and let our hearts be impacted by that really strongly. And we're doing that for those of us who are believers and are growing believers, but I am not making any assumptions. And this morning you could be here And you could be uh, innocently looking the part, but frankly, if we're really honest, you might say to me, I am not a follower of Jesus yet. And I want you to encounter the love of Jesus and for that to grab hold of your heart in such a way that you make that step in which you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And for those of us who maybe have made that decision, But again, if we're really, really honest this morning, we'd say our hearts are a little bit cold. There is nothing to kindle the fire of loving Jesus and obeying Jesus than looking at him and his sacrifice for us. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 23. If you want to open your Bibles with me in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read from verse 32. Luke 23 verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him vinegar, wine vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. One of my favorite actors, Martin Sheen, those of you who know what series I'm a big fan of would realize why I, I, I am such a, a, a fond, so, so fond of him. Martin Sheen uh, revealed in an interview recently his own regret in his life that he was so captured by a passion to develop his career as an actor and also mixed with a, with, with a lifestyle that wasn't particularly the best, very often very decadent, he spent so very little time in investing in his own family. Some of you know that Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen are, are part of the family. In fact, the whole Sheen family is, is part of the acting community. And he really worries that actually he learned to be a father too late in life. Particularly, he had regrets about sharing his faith. He says, I never lost my faith, but I felt for a time that I had outgrown the church. Now it is a bone of contention in my soul that I did not share my faith with my kids as my parents did with me. It was a source of grace when I needed it. I have been greatly nurtured and inspired by my faith. Many of us live with that sense of regret where often we can say, it's just too late, and we're looking at missed opportunities in our life. How many of you were encouraged by your parents to learn to play an instrument, and you just weren't into it? Okay? I remember the first thing was violin. I never even got around any. And the second one was piano. That got a little bit going. And the third one was guitar. And I had an excuse. Apparently, I've got short fingers. That was my excuse as a six-year-old. And some of us probably regret that now because we're looking with real envy at those who are so gifted musically and are so brilliant at doing it and thinking, I wish I could do that. Some of you maybe are looking back and thinking, I wish I would have pursued a little bit more my talent for art, whether it's writing or whether it's painting. And unfortunately, because it required hard work and discipline and everything else that comes with it, we bail out very early and never follow that. And sometimes you think it's just too late to do that. Again, probably all of us have got regrets with regards to our studies. Probably all of us have struggled. I mean, I never understand why they make us make those choices at that age. 
when frankly, none of us in the ages between 12 and 18 are really interested in school, the vast majority at least, we're struggling. But most of us would redo things very differently if you had the chance to do them now. And there are missed opportunities that come with that. And there's the regret that is there. And sometimes it's just too late. Often we can look at opportunities that we might have had with regards to our careers or even choices that we make. Sometimes with regards to our health, and this is particularly true for men, so very often we we avoid going to the doctor because, you know, we think, ah, it's just nothing. And sometimes when you get to the doctor, you hear those dreaded words in which they're saying, it's just too late. You should have come earlier. Life is filled of those kind of situation, situations where somebody would turn around and say to you, sorry, it's just too late. And yet the amazing thing at the heart of the good news of Jesus is the fact that he comes into this world to overturn that sentence and to throw it in the bin. With Jesus, if you'll never hear those words, sorry. It's too late. And this is why you can see in this story here uh, of, of the famous two thieves on the cross where Jesus is being crucified. And in many ways, people misunderstand what's happening. Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's tortured. He's unfairly judged. And then he's condemned to death. The trial was a travesty. Everything about it was wrong. But don't make any mistake. This was not just a judicial mistake. This was not just a political coup. This was not Jesus being the victim of an oppressive regime. This was the plan all along. He was born to die. The crucifixion of Jesus was not an accident. It was unfair if you want to look at it from a human point of view. But it was not accidental if you want to look at it from God's point of view and from God's plan. And Jesus is being crucified and there's nothing more ironic in a terrible kind of way than to have the sinless son of God. God descended on earth, born in Bethlehem, and then coming to live in this world to show us what God is like, being crucified unjustly in between two thieves. Him, the innocent one, the holy one, God himself. There is nothing about that picture that is right. But actually, everything about that picture is right. Because it captures the heart of the good news of Jesus. That a sinless God is in the midst of sinful people that he came to save. And you look at the reaction of the crowd and everybody gets it wrong. The rulers are sneering at him. The Roman soldiers are mocking him and making his suffering even worse by offering him instead of water, vinegar. And yet in the midst of it all, you see the gospel being displayed when Jesus says, in the midst of his unjust suffering, where everybody around him was giving him a hard time, and that's an understatement, he's saying, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. On top of it all, he is there, the Son of God in between two criminals. One mocks him, 
if you really are God, undermining him, casting doubt over him. In another words, saying, you're a fraud, you're a fake, you're not who you say you are. Surely, if you really were the son of God, you wouldn't be here crucified. You wouldn't have all these people laughing at you. You wouldn't have had the Romans mocking you. Surely, what kind of a God are you? And I would have expected Jesus in the midst of that to maybe just ignore them and focus on his own pain. I could even imagine Jesus thinking, are these the people that I'm giving my life for? You know, so very often we peddle this false gospel in which somehow we have some worth that Jesus comes to die for us because we are good. I can imagine Jesus looking at them and thinking, Father, is it for them? There was nothing lovable about those to whom Jesus is praying for and saying, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And yet in the midst of his pain, he still focuses on others and forgiving others because that's what a savior does. That's what the heart of the gospel is. You will always find Jesus pouring out love and forgiveness, even over those who don't deserve it. See, Jesus could have retaliated. Jesus in that moment could have called the, 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 the armies of heaven to come and deal with them, even just a little. He could have aborted the mission. He could have said, for them, no chance. I've had enough. But he didn't. He went all the way to the end and actually in a beautiful kind of way finishes his mission with those words, it is finished. You have in this picture this clash between the ugliness of man's sin. And when I'm saying man's sin, I mean humbly me and you because we were there in the crowd not physically present, but those were our attitudes as sinful people. You have the ugliness. You look at it and you're filled with a sense of horror thinking, how can it be like that? Don't be too quick to point the finger. Maybe be quicker to look in the mirror because that is me and you without Jesus. That's what sinful people do. They mock Jesus. And in stark contrast, you have this beautiful picture of Jesus Contrasted with the ugliness of man's sin, you see his incredible love in the midst of pain and potential disappointment of how terrible they were, not to even have mercy on him when he was suffering. And yet that is the good news of Jesus. We are more sinful than you could imagine, yet we are more loved by a sacrificial savior than you could ever imagine imagine it's never too late so very often in life we can find ourselves in a situation where we think I've been around church for a long time and I've never taken that step to follow Jesus it's too late maybe you're in that place where you're thinking you don't know my life Christy you haven't got a clue what I'm like or what I've been through and what I've done it's too late Jesus would say to all of us this morning, it's never too late. You might have been in church and you might have been very religious for a long time. Or you might have done things that, 
you know, you think, I, I would never want anybody else to find about it. It's never too late. How do I know that? Because I can see it in here. You've got a two thieves that are there, and it's, it's this uh, amazing, amazing twist in the story. One of them predictably really rejects Jesus and mocks Jesus, yet the other one has a different attitude. And right then and right there, he's admitting his sinfulness. Look at verses 40 and 41. The other criminal rebuked him, and he says, Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are justly punished. For we are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. It's never too late for him. And deep inside of him, he has a different attitude than the one that mocks and rejects Jesus. He's saying to himself, it's never too late for me. I'm just going to admit my sinfulness. He's aware of what he has done. And that's the first and most important step that anybody who wants to receive Jesus' salvation, you need to own that. You need to see your own sin. I mean, for him, maybe it was easy because he was a criminal. We don't know what he'd done, but the, the sentence that he'd received was just in his own words. But he sees his sinfulness. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame somebody else. He doesn't blame circumstances or relatives or the context that he was in. He just owns it. He says, I deserve what's happening to me right now. I am sinful. I am punished justly. If you want to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where sin had started as a problem, you'd find that when Adam and Eve sin against God, the first thing that they don't do is admit their sinfulness. Instead, there's this blame game that begins to happen in which Eve blames Adam, Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. And there is this constant blame game that goes on. There's no ownership. There isn't, oh, oops, sorry, Lord. We were wrong to do this. That was sinful. It was our decision. There's nobody else to blame but ourselves. And taking ownership of that. That's what a thief did. That's the contrast between Adam and Eve and the thief that responds to Jesus on the cross. There is that sense of admitting the sinfulness. There is no hiding. There is no pretense. There is no blame. This is what we do with sin. We hide it. We blame others or we pretend it isn't there. He admits his sinfulness. And what I like about him is that he has the, not just the right evaluation of his spiritual state. And that's, that's the game changer. That's when the change begins in our lives. If we've never had that experience in our life, when we were confronted with our own sinfulness and, and, and had to have something happen as a result of it, had to have somebody deal with a sin in our life, I would say you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a disciple of Christ. That crisis is necessary. Just as much as it was necessary for the thief on the cross, it's necessary for me and you to come to that point when we're saying, I have a problem. Just as, 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 as somebody who's facing an addiction needs to get to that place, and those of you who have either gone through addiction or are going through addiction or have people in your family going through an addiction, you know that the advice of the professional is, unless that person comes to the point where they're saying, I admit it, I know I have a problem, you can't deal with the problem. 
Because there's pretense, there's hiding, and there's just lies. And he does that. And I like the fact that he voices it. There is something incredibly humbling, but very powerful in voicing that. And you would know that from your own relationships with with people at work or people at home. Somebody genuinely saying, 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 I am sorry, is very powerful. You might look at them and they look like they're sorry. You know, they're a bit sheepish. But it's not the same thing as somebody genuinely and honestly and humbly admitting they are wrong and saying it. And he does say it publicly. And that is very, very powerful. And that's why we very often encourage people to make a public commitment. That's what baptism is in some ways. is a public declaration of, of leaving an old life behind and embracing a new life. That's why in a service often we'd encourage people to respond and pray a prayer in their own words. Because there is something very powerful about owning it verbally. That. And a thief does that. He admits his sinfulness. But the other thing that's really interesting in, 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 in his life is that uh, he asks Jesus for salvation. Look at verses 42 and 43. He said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realizes he can't sort his sin out. And you might say, too right, Christy, he can't sort his sin out. He's crucified on a cross. What is he going to do? But frankly, it's the same for me and you. Before we know Jesus, though we may not be physically crucified and cornered, almost, we're in the same place. We cannot save ourselves. It just doesn't happen. Are there any people here who can't swim? It's, it's not environment. Just like curiosity. Anybody who can't swim? There's a few people who you can't swim. I mean, I could, I could throw you in, in the river loon at high tide, and I could say to you, just swim. Just swim, you know, throw you over a bridge right in the middle. It's not going to help you. You need somebody to come and rescue you. And he realizes that. That's why he calls out to Jesus. He doesn't talk to himself, doesn't give himself a pep talk, saying, son, you can do this. Son, you can make it better. You can make those sins go away. You can enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you just think about it harder, if you just maybe shout louder about no. He needs to reach out and call and ask Jesus and ask for salvation. And he speaks those words because he recognizes he needs to have Jesus as his savior. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love that little detail that he recognizes that Jesus is a king. I mean, what a contrast. People are spitting on Jesus. People are whipping Jesus. People are sneering at him. People are mocking him. Those who should have known better, the religious leaders. And yet there you've got somebody who shouldn't get it, who gets it. The one that is crucified next to him. It's not an ordinary person. It's the king. And that's why he's saying, Jesus, welcome me into your kingdom. He recognizes that Jesus is both his savior and his king, and he calls out to him, and he asks for that. I mean, I, I can imagine how much boldness the man needed to have. 
And let me say this to you, following Jesus and, and, and even making that first step, that's a difficult, challenging decision. That's why so very often we struggle with it. I've known people who resisted responding to Jesus for such a long time because it's difficult, it's awkward, it's challenging. I mean, he could have, he could have thought to himself, I can't say this. This guy next to me is going to laugh his head off. What are you talking about? What kind of king? The people are going to mock me. They're thinking he's gone bonkers. He's lost it altogether. What kind of, you're calling him a king? Those are the kind of thoughts that we get whenever the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and calling us to respond to Jesus. People are going to laugh about you. People are going to think you're nuts. What are you talking about? You don't need saving. You don't need Jesus. Jesus isn't real. And yet he goes over all those potential barriers. What if Jesus would have rejected him? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that takes boldness. He, he, didn't, he didn't know Jesus really. They, they, they just met at the cross there. No, no other previous connection. I mean, that's serious boldness. What if Jesus would turn around to him and said, are you kidding me? You want to come into my kingdom? Do you know what you've done? Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Because that's what we think. Whenever we think about asking Jesus for forgiveness, we think, surely he's not going to like me. He's, he's going to say, how dare you ask for forgiveness? I know what you did. And yet he goes over that excuse as well. He's not afraid of what people might think. He, he's not afraid what Jesus will do. He's got that inner radar. He knows Jesus is good. He knows Jesus is king. He knows Jesus is savior. And he's saying, I'm going to reach out to him. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to ask him that question. And I'm going to say to him, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus does exactly what you would have expected him to do. He says, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, let, let me be frank and straight on this. This isn't a pattern of how everybody comes to know Jesus. This isn't the, the only way people have encountered Jesus and responded to the good news. But this is a very powerful example. And there's some truth in that. And here is a deep truth. Jesus will always, 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 always respond to those who call out on him and ask for salvation. Always. And you know what I like about Jesus? He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't say, now, son, what I want you to do is I want you to think about what you've done. And Jesus didn't need to do that because he was very aware of his sinfulness. Jesus doesn't mock him, doesn't lecture him, doesn't make him go through even more uncomfortable, difficult times because he sees this man's heart, his man. He's desperate for forgiveness and salvation. And Jesus responds immediately. I mean, what if Jesus would have waited a couple of, you know, hours and said, you, you know, I'm kind of dealing with my own stuff right here, right now. I'm kind of saving the world. Can I just put you on the back burner for a while? But he responds straight away because that's the heart of Jesus. That's my Jesus. He responds straight away with urgency, with kindness, with grace, and with an incredible promise, today you will be with me in paradise. 
you will be with me in my kingdom. The heart of Jesus is always ready to respond to those asking for salvation. And there's a double blessing that comes from that. What Jesus is offering him to his request, it's not just a place but a person too. He says, you will be in my kingdom or in paradise, different versions put in different ways, with me. Don't miss out on those two. Salvation isn't just about not going to hell and going to heaven. Salvation is about being with Jesus forever and having the presence of Jesus in our lives, whether here or in eternity, with us. That's the amazing thing. And this is the offer that Jesus gives to him. What an incredible blessing. It reminds me of a parallel story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. Where a rebellious son goes away from home and realizes his sinfulness. And he comes home with zero expectation of any favor. And yet he finds a father who runs to embrace him, who rejoices over him coming home. And he responds to his son who comes home by welcoming him. It's exactly the same picture of what Jesus did with this man who didn't deserve anything. He was a sinful criminal, punished rightly, death sentence. And yet he receives this incredible grace of Jesus. And frankly, that's your story and it's my story. And and I think we can apply the word and the description criminal uh, to to various levels. There, There might have been levels of criminality. Some of you, like me, I was just reflecting on that yesterday, just thinking, you know, have I done any criminal stuff? You know? And I just thought, I'm sure we probably burned some CDs. You know, I remember in my college years, I used to uh, borrow CDs from the library and then burn them on a tape. That was illegal, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) But we've all done illegal stuff. But the truth is, before God, every single one of us were like that thief. Because in the eyes of God, there aren't grades of sin. It isn't that if you know, somebody's got a criminal conviction, they're a much worse sinner. And somebody doesn't have that criminal conviction, they just you know, borrowed CDs from the library and burned them. Oh, they're not a sinner because that's a lesser sin. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. And every single one of us are like that. And my encouragement to us this morning as we, we, we approach communion, it's, it's to have that attitude, that incredible attitude in which we're appreciating the grace of God afresh. And we're responding with that sense of adoring Jesus for it and advertising that grace of God. That's for those of us who know this. That is so important. But for those who don't know it, I would just say, do what a thief did. It's as simple as that. Admit your sinfulness and ask Jesus. There's no rocket science involved in salvation. It is just as simple as what that thief did responding to him and here is a staggering thought this morning you know have you ever wondered why 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 jesus was crucified in the middle between two thieves three crosses two thieves jesus in the middle one rejects him one responds to him why is it and i think it's because it's that parable that gets carried out ever since in our lives There are going to be people in this room and people in this world that are replicating the same thing. 
There are going to be those who are going to say, I'm rejecting Jesus. And it's never as blatant as that. We always cover it up. You know, we're kind of, kind of very, very crafty. We cover it up. My dad used to have a thing. He used to say, I'm going to do it when I get retired. He used to say, I'm a union man. I can't be seen to be following Jesus and be a religious fanatic. I'll do it when I get retired. That was my dad's line. I don't know what your line is, but you're probably postponing it. And, you, you know, you're kind of classy and elegant, but quite crafty about it. Nobody ever says, oh, no, I hate Jesus' guts, you know, stuff him. We don't do that. Or we could be in the other category where we're responsive to Jesus. And we say like that thief, I've screwed up. I'm sinful, and I know I'm sinful, and I need a savior. I know I can't save myself, and I need somebody to reach out to me, just like the person who can't swim that gets thrown in the middle of the river loon, expecting to save themselves. Can't do that. I am the same, and I'm coming to Jesus. And that's the invitation before us this morning. And as we take communion, as we worship and prepare our hearts, that's my question for us. Which one of the two? Are you? If you're the thief that rejected Jesus, what if God's got your number this morning? You might have not even wanted to be here this morning. But God in his planning and his wisdom knows about it. And he's saying, I'm speaking to you right through here right now. And this is your day when you can make that choice. When you can say, I want to experience Jesus' salvation. I want to have that forgiveness of sins. I'm really encouraging you to respond. And I'm going to give you an opportunity further ahead in the service. For you to pray a prayer. And to begin that journey of following Jesus. And responding to his grace. If you're a Christian and you kind of think, I'm not on fire for God. This morning, what is it? Fourth, fifth? Six, what are we on today? It's a test. What are we on today? Sixth of February? Fifth. Fifth of February. We get, we get there in the end. Just want to make sure you're awake. And you're really honest with me saying, I'm not, I'm not on fire for Jesus. I look back at the past, and I'm nostalgic about it, and I think I, I used to be so much more devoted, so more passionate, more holy, more passionate about non-believers and wanting to share the good news with them. And this morning, I'm not there. What's the answer? It's recapturing that sense of the grace of Jesus is amazing. And this morning is an opportunity as we worship and take part in communion to receive that as the Holy Spirit rekindles our hearts afresh with his love. Let us all stand together as the band are leading us on.